great stories from amazing people. Conversations from the Marsh at Podcast Alley. This is Sports and More with Dean Millard. I think he's an 80 point guy. I think he's a point per game player. If you play him with, you know, Dry Style or McDavid all year long as a, as a winger, for sure. He's got a, he's got a ton of skill and, uh, and he can complement that line because he is, a, he is an excellent two way player. So, you know, six mil, that's, it is what it is. But I think a good player is a good player. And if you can have, you know, if you're starting your team with those three guys, you know, you're, you're in a, you're in a good spot. And, and if you, if you trade away Nugent Hopkins, you're going to have to replace him with somebody who is a good team guy who can get you 80 points and who plays really good uh, two-way hockey. Well, you, you just had him. So I, I, I like him as a player. And, you know, he's a guy who, who you know, he's a team leader. He's been here a long time. He's been through a lot. He wants to win more than anybody else. So uh, I, I like him a, a, a lot on, on my team. Hello there and welcome to Sports and More, the podcast, episode number 44. Thanks very much for tuning in on this show. Almost anything goes. Uh, We stay away from religion and politics for the most part, but we do talk a lot of sports and more, and that's exactly what we will doing doing this week with Rob Tichkowski from the Evidence Sun Edmonton Journal. That was him talking about Ryan Nugent Hopkins and the role that he will play on this uh, Oilers team. Uh, We have a lot of Oiler uh, conversations to have uh, and much more uh, with Rob. We're going to talk about self-isolation haircuts, the future of the NHL season. We'll dive into some uh, Oiler-specific topics uh, from the best players uh, to the surprises. Um, Frozen TV faces, something uh, he was doing uh, when uh, they also did uh, Scrum Lurkers uh, with TSN. So kind of an interesting backstory behind that. Um, a story about shirtless Greeks that you will not want to miss. Um, getting kicked out of a birthday party because he was too funny and uh, so much more. Your top three is about your favorite athletes, your top three favorite athletes of all time. And the poll question is about ticket prices when live sports return both of those brought to you by ultimate franchise fantasy sports we'll get into that in just one second uh but before we get into the meat of the show i just want to uh pay a quick tribute to to my aunt margaret uh, who unfortunately passed away on the weekend she was diagnosed uh, with uh covid 19 um a while back uh, just a, a short time ago and unfortunately passed away on Sunday, uh, she was an absolutely wonderful, a wonderful woman. She had uh, an infectious laugh uh, that uh, you know lit up a room, and and you just uh, you, you couldn't help but laugh along with her. Um, she was amazing. When she would come to visit, we were all so happy in our household because she was so good in the kitchen. The meals she would prepare, I know my mom loved it, and my dad loved it because they got a break, and and the baking that she would do, it was just amazing uh, she should have been a, a chef uh, she was so kind she would always start with dear uh, when she was talking to me hello dear or listen dear and and um you know it's it's uh it was evident when i was living with her in uh, in calgary in the uh, uh early 90s um you know my mom had passed away and i just needed to get out of the city and i moved out to calgary and i lived with her for a little while i left the stove on one time when i went out to play tennis with my buddy smitty 
I came back and she didn't scold me. She just started the sentence with, well, dear, this is what we have to do. And it was just, um, she was just, she just always seemed to know, uh, you know, I could talk to her about uh, a lot of different stuff. So she will be very much missed here. I am so glad my wife and I, Trish, had a chance to visit with her last winter uh, when she was in hospital and have a, a really good visit with her. Uh, and, and while I know she is going to be missed, I, I'm just so thankful. And, and I just picture that, um, you know, where she is now, uh, her little sister, my mom and her are uh, back together again visiting. So uh, to my Annie Margaret, um, uh, we miss you. We love you. And to her um, immediate family, uh, we're obviously thinking of you. So, all right, with that, uh, let's talk a little sports. Uh, we're going to get into the uh, top three in a second, brought to you by Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports. Fantasy sports are awesome. I miss them so much, and I can't wait to get back with Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports. They make things more realistic than ever. You will not believe how realistic this is. 23-man rosters, 27-player reserve list that you buy off scouts. Yes, I said buy. I'll get into what I mean with that in a second daily roster moves wickedly unique playoff format they are not just players on your roster they're digital assets this is what i was talking about use digital currency to buy and sell players you build a championship team now stockpile for the future um it's it's digital currency is easy to understand it's like using paypal it's a sort of uh, you put your money in and you use it in this format to build a team and right now they have all the franchises uh, loaded up on EA Sports and they're doing a playoffs. My team got pummeled game one of uh, the second round of the playoffs, uh, but it's so fun. There's only a few franchises left, less than 10, and there's only 31 available, meaning only one franchise in this whole platform will ever have Connor McDavid unless they trade him like uh, Peter Puck did with Gretter. So here's how you get in. The link is on your screen. If you're watching, get a pen, write this down. You go to airauctioneer.com slash UFF sports dash NHL dash fantasy dash franchise dash auction. Open your free account, make your bid. You will be notified if you are outbid. In this format, you own the game. So get in the game uh, with this uh, wonderful format. It's just so amazing. Ultimate franchise fantasy sports. Uh, it is truly where it's at when it comes to the fantasy game. So the topic today in our UFFS uh, top three question is uh, your favorite athletes of all time. Not the best, your favorite athletes of all time. Hit me up. On Twitter, at Duck Millard, let me know what you think, who are your top three. This is what I'm going with. Honorable mention, Dean Youngblood. I mean, I used to go and rent that video from Hurl's Food Mart in East End of Brandon uh, probably two, three times a month. Um, it was just insane how much I watched that. And, uh, you know, it was, it's insane how weird that movie is. And um, I don't know who the technical directors, uh, uh, were for some of it, but it's an awesome, it's, it's the best junior hockey movie ever made. So I'll never mention Dean Youngblood, uh, number three, I'm going with uh, Cam Neely, Seabass, uh, also dominant power forward for the Boston Bruins, but Seabass, Oral Hershiser, the bulldog number two, uh, with me in this one, 
Um, I fell in love with this guy in the Dodgers in 88 when he dominated that season in the World Series. And Andy Moog, number one, if anybody knows me, uh, they know uh, I am a, um, a ridiculously uh, big uh, Andy Moog fan. Um, so much so that if you're watching, you can see he has his own wall. Jersey, hockey cards, pitcher, t-shirt. Uh, yeah, I'm a huge, huge Andy Moog fan. So uh, that is my top three. Cam Neely, Oral Hershiser, Andy Moog. Honorable mention going to Dean Youngblood. Hit me up on Twitter. Let me know your top three favorite athletes. Would love to hear uh, from you. And you can get more details about Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports. Head to www.uffsports.com. Simple. Get in the game where you own the game. I also want to tell you at Podcast Alley, we've got a few other shows that you may be interested. Uh, we will have Rob Tichkowski one-timers a little bit later, some hilarious stories in one-timers as we get to know him better. Hattie Feltham and one-hitters on the Cannabis 101 podcast. Uh, he's from Square Foot Grow Systems. And this week on the Cannabis 101 podcast will be Malka LaBelle uh, from the Green Generation Co. And we'll also have one-hitters with her. So you can find all of that at Podcast Alley dot c a all right uh just before we get to our guest of the day rob tichkowski of the edmonton sun and the edmonton journal let's get to know him just a little bit with the bio time for the bio rob tichkowski was born in smoky lake alberta and grew up in edmonton he graduated from victoria composite high school and while at one point he wanted to be a plumber a work experience trip and a conversation with a classmate and a counselor convinced him to pursue writing he took the journalism course at then grant McEwen college in edmonton and his first job took him to Wetaskiwin, Alberta for 10 months. He spent three years up north in Fort McMurray, Alberta, covering the Oil Barons Junior A team, before returning home to Edmonton in 1989 with the Edmonton Sun. He now covers the Oilers beat for the Edmonton Sun and Edmonton Journal. Titch, it's uh, great to chat with you as uh, we are all sequestered at home these days. Um, I guess, I guess, first of all, uh, how are things uh, with you during this self-isolation? Have you have you cut your own hair yet? I, I would like, I'm literally thinking about maybe trying it, but I don't know. Well, who cares if it screw up? Nobody sees me anyway, and I'm just wearing a hat. But it's, the, the problem was I was about four or five days away from really needing one before they locked everything down. Right. So I'm way deep into the wrong side of uh how i how i should look so i have like a trimmer thing and i'm just like okay well maybe if i if i i mean if i screw up i can just set it to one and then take it all the way down to the wood and, and start all over again but uh it's it's i'm honestly either thinking about black market haircuts or cutting it myself or something because it's uh it's not working. I think we're going to see a lot of guys come out with the one haircut uh, when this is done because they've either tried to do something or had their wife try to, my buddy let his wife cut his hair the other day and it was so comical. I mean, uh, you know, but I think a lot of guys are going to have the one, like I, I usually have like the two, so it's right down. I, I'm just letting it grow. I'm just my beard, my hair. I'm just going to come out uh, looking like unfrozen caveman lawyer from Saturday night live. Oh, 
Well, I, my like I when I go in there, they go what 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 you set it to, and I'm like a, I think it's a six, so it's fairly longish. And uh, like I and like I say, I was um I was at the end of that when this thing started, so I don't know. I think those people. Uh, my my concern is when they do open those things up, is it going to be another five five weeks to to get an appointment? Right. Like everybody in the city needs a haircut, so. You know, and then they're they're going to be probably the priority is going to be to the girls that spend two hundred bucks as opposed to Tichkowski who goes in there and looking to drop forty, right? So, yeah, that's right. You know, I might be I might not be a high priority list for the for the girls across the street, but uh, we'll see. Uh, the, the, your putting game, uh, I imagine, is really strong. I think I saw you sink a long one on Twitter. Um, but th- listen, there's in, in all seriousness, there's. There's only so long we can keep. Uh, like, there's only so many classic games I can keep watching, and um, you know, I, I think we're all on edge. It was kind of a novel idea in the beginning, but I think everybody now is is quite over that. Uh, you know, what's the what's your mindset during all this? Yeah, like at the start of it, you got to do what you have to do because you saw what was happening in in Spain and Italy, and you're thinking, oh, oh no, good grief, if that happens here, we're going to be in big trouble. So let's let's all lock it down. And then, you know, and then everybody did and everybody's, you know, not grudgingly, but you, you have to do it because you have to do it. Uh, you know, now as we're seeing, you know, the numbers in, in Alberta are just nowhere near to what the estimates they were talking about and the fatality rates are nowhere near the estimates they were talking about. So I, I think we're at a stage now where you, you have to slowly start loosening the restrictions, you know, take a look at the numbers and, and see who's being impacted and, and you know, what what things that we can do safely and nobody's saying you open up the bars and nightclubs again or put 15,000 people in a hockey rink, but you know, you or maybe the public parks, maybe, you know, uh, you know, a, a few other things like golf courses or whatever. Don't be so militant on, on, you know, people milling around and, and do something because, you know, like, like you said, at the start of it, it was kind of, you know, this is, this is uh, this is a novelty and you get to work from home and you don't have to do all this stuff, but there's real people that are, losing everything and, and if, we, if we sit there hiding in our homes until september in the hope that somebody comes up with a vaccine before the next flu season there's going to be nothing to come out to so i think you have to uh come up with some sort of strategy like saskatchewan is and ontario is and, and uh get get people back out there slowly well and and you know one of the things that uh you know affects your job and uh, a lot of people's entertainment is the National Hockey League. And, and, you know, we've heard stories of, uh, you know, from Major League Baseball going to play in a biosphere or something like that in, in Arizona and sequester everybody. What do you think is the future of this NHL season? And, you know, if, if they do decide, like, if it's straight to the playoffs, what's a fair way to decide seating, draft position? I guess, I guess, what's your thoughts on the future of what may or may not happen with the NHL season? Yeah, like, I, it's good that they're exploring every option and that they're willing to start up a season in July and play into whatever and start next year in, in, in November or whatever. Like I'm glad to see that the league and the NHLPA is, is that open-minded about things. It just, it seems like there's just a lot of things that have to go right in order for the NHL to, to get it back to, uh, back to playing. And even in, even, you know, four select divisional markets where you have to get everybody, you know, you have to get guys back from Europe first of all, then you have to get them, from you know all over North America and bring them like say Edmonton to spa you have to get them all here you have to sequester them in a hotel uh, you have to bring in all the support staff uh, you know it, it, God bless them for trying and you, know, you might as well try because maybe you got nothing to lose uh, it's, it's, I have a hard time 
seeing that it, that it would work or that it would even be allowed. Like, you know, Dina Hinshaw says, yeah, we, we don't want to do this. And then what are you going to do? Right. So, uh, I don't know. I, I think they would, you know, if they're going to do it this year, obviously it's going to be with no fans, which really makes the playoffs. It really changes the atmosphere of the playoffs because the fans make up a big chunk of what you're watching, the excitement and the noise from, from those buildings and the, the B roll after somebody scores or the big hits, you see the crowd going wild to not have that and just playing in an empty building is, is, is a lot different. So, you know, who knows this thing changes all the time, but, uh, you know, and I, I hope they can get it done, but it's, there's a lot that has to go into it and a lot that has to go right for them to be able to pull this off. Well, that's exactly it is, um, you know, you're, like you know, the idea of like what are they talking about? Four or five kind of central locations. I mean, Mike Trout came out and, and talked about that in Major League Baseball, saying, "My wife's pregnant. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not uh, staying away from her to play baseball for the birth of our children." I mean, you're talking about uh, you know how many teams and players and families are going to be pumped into Edmonton into one area if Edmonton was a choice. It just seems like. There's a lot of dominoes that have to fall the right way for this to happen this year, and we might be just looking at September and starting up and having no Stanley Cup. Yeah, I think so. And even if, like, say, say Edmonton is one of the places, like all the Oilers would have to move out of their houses and check into the hotel, right? And and do that for two months. Otherwise, it's a massive competitive advantage to be living in your own home while everybody else is in the hotel for two months. So you you know, and further further to that, like the NHL guys, they've already been paid for the season. They're coming back, you know, they, they, they're not paid for the Stanley Cup playoffs much. So, you know, the, it's, it's not like a baseball players, if they, if they wipe it out, are going to lose a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, hockey players, they, they've got their money. So, they, you know, they, they, if they love the cup, the cup playoffs as much as we do, love of the game and all that stuff. But push comes to shove and they're saying, okay, you can pack up and leave your wife and kids and move to Edmonton for two months uh, for just, you know, playoff stipend money then you know let's put it to a vote and see what happens but i'm not i'm not exactly sure i'd love to see it it'd be a lot of fun especially if it was here i don't know if we'd be there covering it or not i would assume so but you know good luck to them but there's like you said there's a lot that has to happen and starting with you know you know infection rates and all Mm -hmm. that stuff you know if there's a big spike in edmonton get well guess what you're not going to have it and somebody's going to test positive You, you can't get that many people playing together so Next thing you know, five or six guys from a team test positive, and what do you got to do? You got to pull them out of the lineup and replace them with AHLers and call it a call it the Western Conference Final. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the as you mentioned, um, uh, I think in your your Monday musings, you know, what's a mass gathering? And two teams would be over what the the limit is now. Um, I don't know, and 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 I don't even if if you skip the regular season and go straight to the playoffs, you know, how fair is that for some teams? I guess not. It life isn't fair, but. Uh, Jerry mm-hmm. Johansson and I, uh, he was on recently, and, and he we were talking about, like, would this be the year, there's going to be an asterisk anyway, to try something really bizarre, like a one, like an NCAA basketball playoff format, like one game, and maybe you do a best of three with the final or something. I don't know. I'm Like, don't, don't you think there's going to be an asterisk beside the uh, the cup winner anyway this year? Yeah, you could, it, that's actually not a bad idea. Just say, you know what, we're, we're, we're maybe – don't give out the Stanley Cup, but we're going to have like a, the NHL isolation tournament kind Something, of thing. Yeah. And, and it's, you, you get everybody in there and you just have a full on tournament. And at the end, you're, you're, you're a champion. And, and, uh, you know, do you, hand, do you give them the Stanley Cup or do you come up with something else? Who knows, right? It's like a mini people World are, Cup. 
yeah, people just want the game, man. Mm-hmm. Like just, dude, who cares what you call it? Who cares what, you know, what you do? Just give them some competition, give them some hockey and, and uh, go down that road. Because I'll tell you what, finishing the regular season and then having four rounds of the playoffs, that's uh, that you have to keep a lot of balls in the air for a long time for that to happen. Yeah. That's daunting. And, you know, you, you, uh, listen, I feel for Oilers fans. I was doing that post-game show during some of the worst times of this franchise. You've covered this team. Uh, you know, that you, you started at the tail end of the dynasty and then some decent years in the 90s compared to that decade of darkness. So I feel for the fans looking at this year thinking, hey, we, we our team finally might be able to make some noise, you know, other than that blip in 2017. Yeah, like this, like right here, right now was supposed to be the best time in years to be an Edmonton sports fan, right? And and it's now it's the worst. You can't even barely leave your house, right? It's, we should have been, you know, you know, parade or not parades, but you know, people packing the, uh, the mm-hmm. streets around Rogers Place and and you know the sunshine and getting pumped up for the games. And when the Oilers weren't playing, you watching another game on TV and the, you know all the back and forth between that was ninety percent going to be a battle of Alberta to start this thing, like that alone would have been just epic. The best thing we've seen in the playoffs in, in certainly since 2006. And before that, you know, probably 25 years, you know, and, and it's just sort of all taken away from us and replaced by, you know, sit in your house and watch your hair grow. It's just, it's brutal. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's tough on everybody. Well, the, the, the battle of Alberta, like you said, is the best it's been since maybe the nineties. I mean, playoffs, are what what really fuels a rivalry, but building towards a playoff series in the regular season helps as well, and that's what the Oilers and the Flames did this year. Well, those games were classic. You know, they you know they have a minute line brawl and all that you know Kachuk stuff with Cassian, and you know Lucic was getting some heat in Calgary after that last game for not being involved enough. So you can imagine what he would have been like over the course of a seven game series <laughs> yeah. against Edmonton. It just that would have had it all, and it would have been like I was really really interested to see who who won that like you know does it go seven games does one team kind of uh you know the exit you know flex the superiority and then roll over them in five and you know with the kachuk cassian thing and I mean, we would have had a lot of answers to a lot of players on the orders you know like what what are these guys like you know when the going gets tough in the playoffs it was you know for all we know the orders could have been in the in the second round right now on a on a, on a nice little roll or we could have been wondering what the hell happened after uh, being eliminated in five games. But this, this right now, you know, like no masters, no playoffs, no, you know, no anything. And I know there's a lot of, a lot of bigger things we have to worry about in the world than sports, but it's, it's quality of life. And it's, it's, it's something that, you know, could have given us a nice, you know, a respite from everything else that's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you can be concerned and, and, and do your part with everything that we're doing and still miss sports. It's, it's okay. There, there seems to be a divide on social media sometimes that if you miss the Stanley cup playoffs, that means you don't care enough about COVID-19, which is, it's ridiculous. You can, you can have both. And, and let's not forget that with the Evan and Oilers titch that Ken Holland, you uh, made some pretty impressive moves. He, he added to this roster. So, you know, some of those things that, that trades were made, well, what are you going to say to the other team? Give us back the draft picks we gave you because there's no regular season. But, you know, all that hard work by Ken Holland building a, a contender and adding pieces could be wiped out. And it's unfortunate. Oh, how would you like to be a team that, you know, gave up some gave up a bunch of draft picks for a couple of rentals for your stretch drive yeah. and they wipe out the season? Like, 
oh my God, it, it, it's, uh, you know, that's, that's, you know, I guess you couldn't really see that coming, but boy, that sucks because, you know, you mortgage your future a little bit for the now and then there is no now. So, so that's tough. But yeah, you're, you're, you're also right about people on social media. You're not allowed to say that, you know, you wish you could play golf. You're not allowed to say that you wish you could watch hockey because that means that you, you want everybody to die, which is the most idiotic thing there is, right? Like I, I, I leave my house twice a week and I've got my, spray bottle of alcohol and I spray my hands and I'm by social distance and all that stuff. I, I, I do my part, but it doesn't mean you can't right. wish that there are other things you could do. Right. Like it's, you know, they have to, they have to start eating some of this stuff because people are just going to go, going to go stir crazy. What do you think happens with, um, I was thinking about this today. Like, you know, this probably isn't going to impact the status of the world junior championship that was supposed to be held in Edmonton. Um, but it could affect ticket prices. Well, Do you think we're going to see ticket packages for events and, you know, even maybe season tickets or something like that come down because, you know, people are, okay, do I feed my family or buy this ticket package if, if we can't stimulate the economy in time? Do you think we'll see a decrease in some of those prices because of this in the future? Yeah, I think it's hard to imagine that there wouldn't be something along those lines just for, for that reason too. Like, you know, the, a lot of people, small business owners and, and, you know, employees like you know, the service industry and hospitality industry accounts for a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of jobs in any city, right? Restaurants and bars and hotels and, and all that stuff. So a lot of people are going to be hurting big time when, when this thing is over and you're suddenly saying, okay, can you buy a couple of hockey tickets at 200 bucks each to, to watch this? And, and not only that, people are going to be, some people anyway, are going to be more, uh, cognizant of do you know? Do I want to sit in a in a gathering of fifteen thousand people? You know? Right. So I think in order to get people into their buildings, teams are going to have to be creative somehow, and 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 they're going to you know, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine you know big organizations like the Oilers rolling back their prices. But I would be be, be very interested to see that you know when this thing's over and the you know the season starts, they say they call it off and start on schedule next October. And, you know, if they left the, the, the ticket prices the same as they are right now, how many people would, would actually be there? Because, you know, it's a different world when we come out of this thing, that's for sure. And a lot of the, a lot of the things that were normal before are not now. And people are taking a hard look at a lot of aspects of their life. And, and the disposable income for hockey is, might be one of them. Uh, no doubt. As for this team that you do cover on a regular basis, let's chat about them a little bit. McDavid, Dreisaitl, best duo in the NHL since? Most probably, uh, you want to go back all the way like Yager and Lemieux? Well, would you say Crosby, Malkin? Crosby, well, Crosby and Malkin, yeah. I would, yeah, that would be that. And then prior to that, then, yeah. I mean, these guys They're, are just ridiculous, and and not even when they yeah. play together. Just the 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 you know one guy's on one line sometimes, and and they you spread out the attack, or you put them together, and they dominate. It's ridiculous. Yeah, the emergence of Drysdale has been pretty. Like everybody knew what McDavid was, and that he was going to be kind of the next the next Crosby, the next you know the superstar uh-huh. of the league. But Drysdale, holy cow! And you know you have to remember that these guys are still both very young, and and they still are going to four or five years before they even really hit their full on prime. And, you know, you've got a dry side. got the, the size and the weight and the confidence now where he can kind of go into a game thinking, you know, I can be the best player 
on this team. I can be I can be the best player in this league, and and that confidence is is huge. And then you know you have you know your other center being Connor McDavid. You're just you know the the Oilers are are so close to being you know they have so many of the ingredients or two of the primary ingredients they need to to, to get this thing to the next level. That uh, if if they look after it properly and 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 uh, add the right supporting pieces like this this could be a team with a a Stanley Cup window five six seven years you know it's amazing when you think about uh, the Oilers and the Penguins both franchises have had two waves of generational players Uh, I mean you you look at the Oilers you have Gretzky and Messier Curry all these Hall of Famers you look at Pittsburgh with Lemieux and Yager as you mentioned and then both franchises down the road get another wave I mean Lemieux and Gretzky are in top five all time of the players and, and Crosby and McDavid could join them as well. And, and then there's dry saddle and milk. And I mean, both franchises, despite some dark times have been incredibly lucky. That is amazing. Cause there's no other team that's even had kind no. of like, some have had one, like, you know, Boston had, you know, maybe you could say Oren Esposito and the Canadians had a, had a bunch of their guys and Leafs. I don't think they've had a, a guy win the scoring race in about a hundred years. Like yeah. that, that, they've been around forever and they just, they can't do it. And here you have, not only do you get Gretzky and Messi and Curry, but you know, guess what? You get you know, Connor McDavid and Leon Drysaddle. That is, that is amazing that two organizations can 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 do it twice. I just you would hope for everybody's sake that Edmonton can do with McDavid and Drysaddle what uh, Pittsburgh did with Crosby and Malkin because yeah. uh, to have uh, a couple of runs would be pretty spectacular for the city. So aside from the top two, McDavid and Dreisaitl, and and you're right, Dreisaitl just uh, emerging as the you know the the consensus likely Hart Trophy winner if they were going to hand that out. What do you like about the rest of this Oiler team? What what impressed you about this team this year compared to you know the ones that you know you and I covered uh, in the past? I think they have. You know, uh, Holland did a decent job of because, like you say, when when you have the main pieces in place. You know, you have a McDavid and a dry title, and then you have, a, you know, a Ryan Nugent Hopkins who you give him a decent line mate, and all of a sudden it's like getting a free player because he his offensive uh, production, you know, took a sharp sharp turn uh, upward when you when you started playing him with with decent players. For the longest time, they you know dropped him down. He was playing third line with with scrubs, and if you put him with a with a McDavid or you put him with a dry title regularly, he's going to become, you know, this you know eighty point guy, right? So. And he's also an excellent two-way player, uh, you know. And then, but for me, I like you know. You see a Yamamoto coming. You see an Ethan Bear. You see a, a Caleb Jones. I think you have to have that those young guys that are coming up that keep the cap money down, but are still good players. So then you can fill that middle spot with free agents that, that you can pay a little bit of money to. And then so you've got the top end, the dry side, old McDavid and Nugent Hopkins. You've got the younger guys that aren't making a whole bunch of money with you know. Caleb Jones and Bear and Yamamoto and Evan Bouchard uh, at, at some point, and then it's up to the GM to fill those middle spots, right, with the the, the second and, and third line guys that, that can help you win a championship. And I think that's the direction that they're uh, they're on right now. And it would have that's why I was would have been really interested to see what they what they did in the playoffs, so you can get a really uh, a better handle of of where they are because that that's when you learn most about your team. Well, I, I like that you brought up. Ryan Nugent Hopkins, um, because I, I wonder in your opinion, you know, what is Ryan Nugent Hopkins? I, I certainly think he's their best two way forward, 
the best the Oilers have, or can he be a point per game guy? Like we we've seen. First of all, I think like a lot of guys, he was rushed to the NHL. He really could have used another year in Red Deer. Oh, sure, but yeah. but where do you see him now? Where 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 is his? What's his full potential? I think he's. I think he's a point. I think he's an eighty point guy. I think he's a point per game player. If you play him with you know Drysdale or McDavid all year long as a as a winger, for sure he's got a he's got a ton of skill, and uh, and he can complement that line because he is a, he is an excellent two way player. So you know six mil. That's it is what it is. But I think a good player is a good player, and if you can have you know if you're starting your team with those three guys, you know you're you're in a you're in a good spot. And and if you if you trade away Nugent Hopkins. You're going to have to replace him with somebody who is a good team guy who can get you 80 points and who plays really good uh, two-way hockey. Well, you, you just had him. So I, I, I like him as a player. And, you know, he's a guy who, who you know, he's a team leader. He's been here a long time. He's been through a lot. He wants to win more than anybody else. So uh, I, I like him a, a, a lot on, on my team. Yeah, and I, I think he's really shown some incredible potential uh, this year with, like you said, you – not only give him good line mates, but consistent line mates. I mean, the amount of different line mates that Ryan Nugent Hopkins and coaches that he's had over the last, his, his whole career is staggering. Yeah. And he hasn't complained once. He's Never. had like seven or eight coaches over the last time and they move him around and they've got him center. They've got him wing. They've got him playing with Jujar Kara or whatever, you know, put him in a top six position and it's, you know, two first lines, basically, if your centers are McDavid or Drysaddle, put him there all year long and you're going to get a significant amount of points from the guy and you're going to get good two-way play. You're going to have a good power play. So I, uh, you know, I think he's a vastly underrated player. And now that they are playing him, you know, consistently in those two spots, you're seeing, you're seeing his numbers, uh, shoot up accordingly. Okay. The Oilers blue line now and the Oilers blue line in three years. Uh, what do you like about it now? And, and what are you excited about? <clears throat> well, I, I, it's, it's amazing that, where they could be in a couple of years. Like, you know, if you're talking Bouchard and Broberg, in addition to Jones and, and Bear and, and a Darnell Nurse and uh, um, uh, Oscar Clefbaum, I mean, that's a that's a wicked top six when once those guys have a little bit of experience under their belt. So I think that's one of the areas where you could make a actual hockey trade, you know, uh, one up for one up, and then suddenly give away one of your currently top four defensemen and get yourself a, a full-on top six forward that can complement uh, what you already have up there. And I think that, that that would be the move that kind of can push Edmonton to the next level, or you can trade, whether it's a cleft bomb or a nurse, because the guys underneath them are able to fill in those positions for, for less money and, and bring in, you know, who knows what you're going to get, maybe a 30-goal scorer who can, you know, add some physicality or whatever, but you, you make a full-on hockey trade defenseman for a forward because Edmonton is very deep on defense and, and suddenly, you know, your top six is looking pretty wicked and uh, your defense, if uh, Roberg and Bouchard and Baron Jones uh, are, you know, live up to their potential could be very solid as well because those are all puck moving guys and that's the way the game is going now. So, you know, I, I really like, I think, I think our young defense is a key to the future of, of what happens with this team going forward, whether they become a cup contender or not. Like if those guys are for real and they can, and they can grow into those positions and you can make a hockey trade by moving one of your veterans or, or you know, a couple of guys for top, uh, top six forwards, uh, this, this team will be in really good shape. 
you know the uh the the dry sidle surge has been fun to watch this year but you know not not like oh my god we should be so shocked that he is this good player he did have a 100 point season the the one position for me that has been made the biggest difference is in goal and you know i'll I'll be the first to say I doubted Miko Koskinen in his uh, oh. early starts. I doubted them signing him to that contract. I still think it was a bad contract to give him at the time, but I'm man enough to admit that I was wrong about his ability. And 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 I thought Mike Smith was going to come in and steal the job and play more games. And Mike Smith has been really good at times, but I, I think Miko Koskinen is is you know one of the big reasons the Oilers are where they are. Oh, for sure, yeah. Goaltending. Remember when they were good and they had that uh, playoff run a couple of years ago? It was Cam Talbot, right? Like, yeah. like if you have, you can have a lot of the pieces in place. You can be a really good team in a lot of other in a lot of other areas. If your goaltending is not that good, you're you're going nowhere. And and it's you know you're going to blame your defense and blame your lack of scoring. But if your if your goaltending is not any good, that sewers all of your plans. And Koskinen, you know, he has this ability to go on these incredible runs. Like you know, we had like last year before the, before he signed that contract, and then then he then he sagged a little bit when the, the entire workload was put on his shoulders. But you know, they by the sounds of it, he works really hard and he's uh, he's committed and and uh, I, I he was really strong this year. Like he had everybody has a speed wobble during the course of a season. You tend to overanalyze it sometimes, thinking okay, he's no good, but no, he just had a you know a bad week or two, right? Same thing happened with Smith. People were ready to, to, to trash him, and then he came back and had a really good run. Right. So, <clears throat> I think, uh, you know, Koskinen, he's, he's got the size, and once he gets, you know, the the angles and everything of the NHL, remember, the guy just came back to the league after not being here for seven years or whatever it was. So, But he's, yeah, if you, uh, a solid goalie like him, and as it turns out, for decent money, God bless Shirelli, uh, that's uh, – <laughs> That, that's a that's a good that's a that's a that's a good ingredient, and I would that's that's why I was kind of hoping for the playoffs as well because you know whether Smith is more competitive and gives you a better chance right now, I would have liked to seen Nico Koskinen play every game for three rounds and just see how he held up physically and mentally to that right. to that strain and, and that stress, and and if and if he did, then you're like, okay, this is our guy. We can count on him for three or four more years, and if and if he, you know doesn't then you know that too and then you have to go out next year looking for somebody who can you know be mike smith too if, if, if you don't think mike smith uh, has it anymore is he well and it's you know like you, you bring in mike smith at two million you know the oilers goaltending is less than seven million dollars there's a lot of starters out there that are making more than seven million dollars you know then there's Carey Price, but um they're, they're, the goaltending cap number between the two guys is, is pretty good Oh, I, like listen for all of Shirelli's faults. I mean, what did he get? Clef bomb at four million bucks. He got uh, Leon Drysdale locked in long term at eight and a half. He's at the goalie at four. Like he's, you know, I'll give him credit. Like he, 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 what he does is like to take a gamble on somebody uh, on their future, right? So he he gambled that Koskinen was going to become better than better than his value at four million, and looks like he's probably right on that front. So, but yeah, four million bucks for a. Uh, for a starter is, is outstanding because then you can invest two and a half million or whatever if you need a, a backup that, that's going to play a, a significant amount of games or can be your insurance policy. You don't have to, you're not in a situation where your starter's making seven so you can only pay your backup, you know, one, mm-hmm. right? Because then you know, you're not going to get much for one. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's a, that's a good value deal. And I, and by, you know, I hope he can kind of live up to the, to the length of it. 
Uh, let's sw switch gears just uh, a little bit. Um, you're you're on Twitter a lot. You're active on Twitter. We were talking earlier about how you know people don't seem to grasp the concept of you can you know be concerned about what's going on but still miss things. Um, how do you deal with Twitter bullies? I mean, there's so many people that hide behind uh, whatever code name it is or whatever it is and, and some avatar. Um, I used to get it in text messages uh, when I was on the radio. People are really brave when they're not face to face. Um, you have a lot of humor, but you have you, you, you have a sharp wit to you. So how do you deal with uh, Twitter bullies? You, you, a lot of it, and you're right. Like I very rarely, if you're not, if you're not uh, brave enough or you don't have the courage enough in your own convictions or opinions to even put your name and face to your argument, very rarely will I ever, you know, respond or engage in a, in a <clears throat> discussion or anything like that. But you get a lot of these people that just that are looking for a fight. They don't have anything kind of better to do. So I, I don't pour over the mentions a whole bunch. Like I'll skim through it. And I'll say, okay, I can see where this is going and check you later. I'm not going right. to, sit there and agonize over what some guy with a fake picture thinks of me that, you know, guy with 80 followers or whatever is going to call me a name, like be my guest, like do whatever, you do whatever yeah. you want. I very rarely block people. Like if somebody says you're an idiot or whatever, that's, you know, that's fine. That's your opinion. But if they start ripping on journalism or the paper, that's when I'll just block them. I'll say, okay, you know, get lost or whatever. But it, it seems it's a, it's a weird situation now where, uh, you know, people aren't allowed to have their own opinion. Mm -hmm. You know, the, somebody has to jump out and, and, and shout them down and call them names or, or, you know, try and bully on them. And it used to be back in, <clears throat> in the old days, it was, you know, the fascists on the right who would not allow anybody to have any free speech. And now it seems to be going the other way. Like if you disagree with anything, somebody on the left says you're, you know, you're a racist or you're homophobic or you whatever, you're not the case. You're just asking questions mm -hmm. or, or making observations or whatever, but you're, you're kind of not allowed to do that anymore uh, because everybody jumps on everything you say. So like I say, I don't worry too much about all the mentions or whatever. Sometimes it uh, turns into a, <laughs> especially the golf. I don't know why that touched the nerve, but yeah. even, even then most of the responses were just so stupid though, that like, I was just like, there was nothing to argue about. Like yeah. I, I, point out like you no know, listen dude this is as safe as you can get like there's a hundred things we're allowed to do right now that aren't a tenth as safe as golf and you're saying that we shouldn't be able to golf and your only argument is you know you're an elitist or how can you think of golf during a pandemic well that's those are stupid arguments if it's safe it's safe mm -hmm. like don't, don't 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 come crying to me about whether you do or don't like golf or camping or whatever the whatever they're whatever else they're shutting down like come up with an argument to tell me why it isn't safe mm. and then we can talk about it if you're just going to call me names then you know see you later well that's the thing you can say listen rob i disagree i don't think golf courses should be open and leave it at that you don't have to say you're a moron or your paper sucks <laughs> yeah, or know. you know whatever <laughs> like you can disagree with people in a respectful way that's what that's what, and and i, I think it's gone way past political parties. Like it's gone from one side. I think it's just people in general think they can just get away with saying anything about you or your opinion or your family. I mean, the, uh, the amount of people that go after pro athletes and, and their families is just staggeringly ridiculous. Yeah. I'm, it's, I'm surprised even some of them are, are on it. Yeah, but I would like, yeah, like you're not, you're not allowed to have a differing opinion anymore. It's like, how about you think, 
there shouldn't be golf and I think there should be golf and nobody's an idiot and nobody's right. an elitist and, and nobody's a racist and nobody wants everybody to die from COVID-19. Let's just agree to disagree and point, point our arguments. You can say, okay, well, people gather in the parking lots and you know, that might be a concern and there's going to be no public washrooms. So that might be a concern. Okay. That's a discussion that you can have. Sure. But if you, you're an elitist, how can you think of golf in a pandemic? Well, you know, shut up. Like, yeah. honestly, you, if you don't have an argument, don't join the argument. Yeah. That's the way I, I look at it. I, I sometimes I go between block and mute. I mean, like if somebody's coming up and, and yelling at you on a street corner, you're not going to just sit there and take it. You're probably going to do something. Yeah. That's where I look at the block and the mute. If, if they're really offensive, then I block them. If, if they're just kind of like moronic and whatever, and I'm, or I'm like, you know, I'm just going to mute this person. So I don't have to deal with them anymore. Yeah. Um, but you know, they're and, and that, sorry. If, if, well, if you mute it, then, you know, they don't have the satisfaction of knowing that they even, that you even read it. Like, that's why if, right. if you don't respond or don't block it, it's just, basically this is some idiot yelling into the darkness and he doesn't know if you even read it or if you even care about it or even whatever. He right. just fired out there. As soon as you start snapping back at him, he's like, Oh wow, I got this guy's attention mm-hmm. and he's talking to me now and, and people are watching. I'm going to, I'm going to call him some names and start a fight. If you just ignore him, then sometimes that hurts worse than, than replying to the guy and saying, you know, you, know, you got your head up your ass. Yeah. It's, it's a good point. Uh, and there's, there's different ways and, and different ways of dealing with it. Uh, the one thing I, I love uh, how you use Twitter is frozen TV faces. Cause the, the, <laughs> and this, this started in retaliation. Well, I shouldn't say retaliation, but in response to the, the scrum lurkers that TSM was doing. Yeah, that was exactly it. Like we, they've, they've been doing that scrum lurkers thing for a long time. And, and like I purposely, even before scrum lurkers was a thing, I would never stand behind the guy cause I didn't want to be right uh, in the, in the TV thing. So, <clears throat> you know, I was always kind of never wanted to be in scrum lurkers anyway. And I, I've never been on it myself, but you know, you, you this thing came out with Jay and Dan and uh, <clears throat> some people were upset by it because like, quite honestly, we're, we're in there asking the questions and, and getting the responses that they're running on their show. Like we're, you know, helping them get their quotes and in turn, they're turning around making, making fun of people. Right. And it's easy to, you know, if you don't know the cameras on you, it's pretty easy to look stupid, right? Sure, yeah. When 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 you you know you don't you don't know that you're they're zooming in on you and making you look like a goofball. So <clears throat> I, I, ha- I came up with that idea probably about a year ago, and I thought, yeah, you know, it'd be funny to do this, and I just didn't say anything about it. And just, you know, Spec was always <laughs> getting riled up about a little scrum lurker, so I said, okay, I'll, I'll do it once. So I just I would it's pretty easy to do. You just you know, you get a big screen and you pause it and it's right. a stupid looking face and you put it out there. And, and, uh, so I ran a couple and yeah, Rashad wasn't too happy <laughs> about it. And then eventually Jay Onright ended up calling me to talk about things. Right. And, uh, it was like, it was funny because he was like, Hey man, scrum workers is a joke. It's not a big deal. And frozen TV faces is a joke. It's not a big deal. So just so you know, you know, and I'm like, yeah, dude, I'm, this isn't a hostile war or anything. Right. It's, yeah you're doing something funny and I'm doing something funny and no harm, no foul. So Jay Onright and I were kind of fine with the, uh, the levity and the spirit of it. And I think other people from watching from a distance thought it was kind of this, uh, you know, angry blood feud between the <laughs> post media and TSN, but really it was, uh, you know, just fooling around something to do. And, uh, once there was no more scrums, uh, thing, well, it's quickly put to rest, I guess. Yeah. No kidding. I thought, I thought it was funny. And, 
Um, but you're right. Uh, if, if you're, you know, some, sometimes, uh, I, and for that reason, I stopped chewing gum in scrums because I didn't want the camera to catch me chomping on a piece of gum uh, beside Oscar Clefbaum or something like that, because you don't, you don't know what the other camera is picking up in, in that framed shot. Oh well, yeah, and you, and you don't know the yeah, others. All these other cameras, and you say, oh, "I got to pick out the TSN camera and make sure I'm not in in the back of the thing." And like again, if you don't know the cameras on you, you're, you know, you're kind of looking elsewhere around the dressing room to see if there's right. you know, something else you might need or whatever. And then you know, the worst thing is when the TV camera guys give you that little nudge on the shoulder because you're in their shot, right? So please move over to the side. Oh, okay, moving over to the side gets me on scrum lurkers, dude. So mm. like, can't have it both ways. I'm gonna if I can't stand behind the guy because I'm worried about ending up on scrum lurkers or to the side, I'm going to stand in front, which guess what is in TSN shot. So, you know, there was a little bit of that here and there, like people not wanting to move over for TSN. But again, we're, we're all, we're all buddies and we're all in the same boat together. So, you know, we work it out and nobody's, nobody has any hard feelings. Rashad took it bad though. He doesn't, he's, he's a, he didn't, he, he didn't like being on there. I think he's the, uh, you know, just, you know, he would talk to me at the rink every day. Like, you're going to keep doing these? You're going to keep doing these? <laughs> probably. I mean, it's probably hard on my PVR because you have to stop and rewind and get a good one. And where they're right, you know, and, and eventually I was trying to come up with different themes. Where well, then you start getting picky, right? Yeah. <laughs> you want it to be perfect now. Yeah. Yeah. It became, I was like uh, Kramer when he was, or Jerry Seinfeld when he was filming the uh, bootleg videos. You know, <laughs> he became like a, an artist, you know. <laughs> That's exactly it. I was going to ask you this later, but I'll get to it now. Strangest thing you've seen in a media scrum. And and you're right. The camera guys versus print guys has always been a dynamic. There was a guy who used to cover the Eskimos for the sun, um, who my camera guy, he, he, I think he either had a pen in his ear or a pen in his notepad that my camera guy tried to move. He dropped an F bomb in, and Danny Machocha was like, What's going on? I, I think you probably know who I'm talking about, but what's the strangest thing you've seen in scrums? Because there's there's a kind of a weird dynamic of where you can stand. I mean, there was one reporter in Edmonton my first day told me I was in his spot in the old uh, Rexall Place dressing room. And there's weird dynamics in media scrums sometimes. In your spot. I probably know who that one was, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> RB with the initials. Yeah, there? that was uh, that was it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the weirdest thing ever was uh, remember the World Track and Field Championships when they were here back in I think it was 2000? two thousand. Yeah, two thousand, two thousand one. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I got I got really sick during that thing because there's people from the Congo and Japan and all over. Like I had a, I had uh, COVID before COVID was even a thing, right? I had this wicked pneumonia going on and. I was really sick. I like when it was over, I had to go to get my chest x-rayed and I was like laid up for forever. But you know, I was in the middle of the uh, world track and field championship. So you couldn't call in sick, right? Right. Yeah. Story ever. So I was like on three hours sleep and just dying and hacking and the whole deal. But anyway, they had like a mix zone and it was really hot, like pushing 30 degrees uh, when, when that event was taking place and they all herded us into this one little box that, is probably 10 feet by 10 feet by 10 feet and it was a square and then the athletes would just come around outside the square and then you would go up to the rail and kind of talk to them without you know leaving your little pen and i guess it's custom over in greece and italy in this but they had all these dudes that were in there with no shirts on all these reporters 
What? Big, yeah, big, hairy, sweaty dudes, and it was hot, so they would take their shirts off. And you're, you know, like all sandwiched in there together, and there's these four guys from Greece with no shirts on, with their notepads and microphones, and I'm like, dude, it's like this is not how we do these things. It was the most, and I'm dying anyway, right? Like yeah. I was, like I was thicker than a dog, and I'm standing next to a sandwich between two guys from Greece with no shirts on. I was just like, when is this thing over? Get me out of here, man. Oh my goodness. I can't imagine how long that scrum must have felt like. Oh, it's forever. And it was inside with no AC. Like it was just sweltering hot. And yeah. and yeah, it was all these shirtless dudes. And we're waiting forever for these athletes to truck by. And uh, I'm, I'm like dying. And I'm just like, oh man, this, I do not want to be here right now. Well, we've all been in that one scrum position where you, you have to like scrunch down or do something. And you're like, how long is this interview going to keep going? My knees or my back are killing me, but I can't change <laughs> position because the scrum is too big. Yeah. If you're in, if you're in like the front row and you're kind of crouched down a little bit, you're in this, you know, seven minute squat and you're like, okay, you're starting to shake and you're worried about being on scrum lurkers too on top of it. So you try not to look like a like an idiot, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, there's, there's more to it than people think. Even standing there with your arm extended for yeah. seven or eight minutes on a long scrum, it doesn't seem like much, but you know, you start shaking and you can't really turn because you're all jammed in there together. And some people don't have proper scrum etiquette where you're supposed to turn to the side as, right. as opposed to, you know, standing square up and boxing everybody out if you're going up for a rebound. Well, that's why they, they started making those hockey stick microphones, right? So those guys could stand so, <laughs> so far back, right? It's just, it's crazy. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it helps to be creative. I think, uh, what's his name from Sportsnet? Pioneer that. Corey Blaschel. Yeah. Stick. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He's first time he brought that out. I'm like, yeah, that's actually pretty cool. Now everybody does it. Everybody's yeah. got a, a microphone, uh, uh, stand hockey stick. Um, you're, you're a funny guy. Uh, I'm, I'm sure people tell you, do, do you ever have people say, be funny? Like just, just be, say something funny. Cause you got a funny way about you on Twitter and, and in person, you've got a, a really sarcastic wit. I'm like, cause that's something that's always been with you or is that developed over time as a reporter? No, no. I, I remember even as a young, as a young kid, I was always a smart ass and always had the, uh, always had the uh, the jokes. It was weird. It was, it was uh, like a memory of, I was like seven or eight years old and hanging out with some, some buddies in the neighborhood and we were going over to this other kid's place and he had like the, uh, the Big Joe sports camper and all that stuff. He had the whole rig and GI Joes and the whole thing set up in a sandbox and it was a really cool setup. So like me and two buddies are going over there to, to see this, this kid's you know, GI Joe set up and the big gym sports camper and the whole thing, right? And apparently I'm just cracking jokes, right? And, and I didn't even know I was doing it. And this kid was taking offense to it. He's like, who's this guy with the jokes all the time? And I'm like, what? What's your problem, right? And I, you know, driving the thing and I made it crack about something else. And he says, like, dude, you know, one more smart ass comment and you're out of here. And I'm like, what is this? Is this guy for real? And then, like within five minutes, I was kicked out of the yard for making too many jokes. I have no idea. I have no idea what happened. I'm walking home. I'm like, are you serious, man? The guy threw me out for making jokes. But, uh, it, it, <laughs> I do. I don't know. After, after one of the golf tournaments, we went out to, uh, I think it was Mercer for a couple of drinks and, uh, a buddy that I kind of talked to here and there that I've met, like met him first time that night. And he's like, uh, after, you know, at the, at the banquet and then at Mercer's, he's like, it's funny, you know, because I saw you on Twitter and I hear you on Twitter and I actually, I meet you. You're actually a, a nice person. <laughs> like, <okay. laughs> 
have to go back and reevaluate, you know, how sarcastic and cynical I am because apparently I'm I'm much nicer in person than I appear to be on on Twitter. No, you're actually a, you're actually a good guy. Yeah, what what, what a backhanded okay, compliment, eh? Yeah, that was. <laughs> I had no idea that I had viewed in that light. Uh, you travel so much, so let's talk about uh, you know best airline, best hotel, the one that you when you when you're traveling and you get booked on or you book your own travel that you you're happy with. Yeah, I well, I'm just like a, a point tour, so that's it. I'm United Air Canada because all my points are on there, no matter what. Right? If the price is, if the air, if the airfare is comparable, then for sure I'll take those. And then you get you get your status. Like it's the only thing I care about, quite honestly. I got a whole bunch of points, like four hundred thousand on Air Canada and just about a million at Marriott. But all I care about is being in Group Two, so you can get on there and sit down and put your stuff in the overhead without having to worry about these people who travel with everything they own. Right plugging up the overhead and, and getting on there. So I, all I want to do is be in group two for United or Canada. And then at Marriott, yeah, I, I've, uh, that's pretty much exclusively the only places I stay. And then you get, you know, the concierge lounge where you can go in there and get your free drinks and food a, a few times a day. And, you know, you know, all your points build up. So, you know, I think when the time comes, I'll end up probably being able to stay in the Marriott for about a month without okay. paying anything. But all my points are up there. Yeah. You, it's it's funny you mentioned the the people getting on the plane. I mean, there used to be. I don't know if you ever watched these uh, Warren Miller ski movies that he used to make, where he would just set up a camera and watch people falling off the chairlift or whatever that they were they were coming off on a ski. It was just it was just repeated people with with like crashes and everything. You could do that on an airplane with people trying to fit their luggage in the overhead cabin. Oh, I, it, it is the most bizarre thing. Like, quite honestly, if you can't get on a plane, walk to your seat, put your thing in the overhead and sit down inside of 10 seconds. You probably shouldn't be on a plane. And you, and you see these people like, you know, they've got a purse and then a personal carry on and then a, and then a bag that's too big for it. And they, you know, they, everything's jammed and you should know that if you're in one of the later groups, you're not going to, there's not going to be room on the overhead, but you know, I've always thought that they should charge for carry on as opposed to charge for checking. Oh yeah. That way would it, that would speed up everything, right? If you, instead of charging $30 to check your bag, it's $30 to carry it on. And then everybody's like, yeah, because the, the people are just wanting to save money, right? 30 bucks, I got a, I got a bag. I don't want to pay this, you know, throw it away or whatever. But in terms of efficiency, man, it's frustrating. You get on that plane and you're waiting, you know, 25, 30 minutes as these people struggle. And, and then, you know, you're going from the back and looking for overheads and stuff hanging out. And uh, I'm not everybody's a flyer, right? Like not everybody knows the you know kind of the the rules and the protocol yeah. and everything like that some of these people are on there for the first time but man there's there needs <laughs> there needs to be a better way because if you just leave it to the the, the human nature and, and the intelligence of uh, of humanity it, it's uh, it's going to work out the way it is, which isn't very well yeah l- listen i can I can handle the person that's on a flight for the first time, but you know you see so many of that you're like there's no way this many people are on their their first flight it just happens too often with people. Uh, that that are traveling and it's just uh, you just wonder like you know it's not that hard to to figure it out now like if somebody is uh, elderly or something you have you have obviously you, you understand and you give them some help but when the 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 27 year old guy gets on there and he can't fit his thing in it's like man what, what's wrong with you or or the or the guy like like they say if you have a like if you have a backpack and a, a carry-on bag your your carry-on goes above you and the backpack goes at your feet right, right. so there's room for everybody and one of these guys in the first groups and he puts his carry on on 
and then he puts his backpack on there and then he wraps up his coat and he takes up an entire bin for one guy. Like you want to get him a slap in the back of the head because now we're going to be waiting as everybody else tries to get their stuff in. And just a lot of it is just the inconsiderate people that kind of frustrate me the most. It's just, you know, Hey, that bag is too big. You should have known it. There's a, you know, mm-hmm. the, there's a checker right when you, right when you check in to see if it'll fit. And then the other guys are the people that, uh, you know, put everything they have up there so nobody else can use it too, which is even worse because they should know better. How about uh, your favorite road city? Uh, what's the one city you love stopping in? Maybe it has a great restaurant or, or something. Uh, probably a few of them, but I think if you're, if you're a hockey fan and you haven't been to Nashville yet, that's got to be number one on your bucket list. Like it's uh, the arena atmosphere is great. Uh, the hotel is across the street from the rink. For the most part, you know the downtown is really close, and then that that strip of uh, that strip of bars uh, um, on uh, what did they call it uh, Broadway? I think is the name of the street. It's nothing but live music and incredibly talented live music. Like you know all the player, all the all the acts that have made it big in Nashville, from Dixie Chicks to Toby Keith to all these other people are. You know, there's just incredibly talented people and they play everything. Like you give the guy 10 bucks in his jar and they'll play ACDC for you. And hmm. It's just a great, you know, the, and the food is great. You know, that, that Southern, Southern U.S. barbecue. So Nashville for sure would be a, a fantastic road trip. So I like New York is good too. Going to New York city every once in a while is, uh, is good. But, uh, for me, if I had, you know, one more road trip to go, I'd probably do Nashville. Nashville during that playoffs, especially their cup run seemed like it was unbelievable. Like we all see, you know, started with like whatever the red mile and then white Avenue here, the blue mile, if whatever you have, but, um, you know, you expect that in a Canadian city. I don't think a lot of people expected the, the, the outpouring of, uh, support and, and open partying in Nashville, uh, until it happened. It looked like it was just wild. Oh, it was crazy. Yeah. I covered that series and oh, I was wow. just, you know, they're closing, they're closing down the streets and, and, uh, and, uh, I think it was the second, I forget which round it was second or third. They all kind of run together now, but the city was just insane. Like the way they adopted that team and, and just, it's a party atmosphere to begin with. So you just, you know, you add a playoff run into that mix of live music, uh, and, uh, a million places that are, uh, playing live music on that strip and it's just it was a it was a great time uh, i i covered it a little bit in the bio briefly about your uh career path but uh, i think it's worth uh revisiting you kind of grew up in edmonton graduated from uh victoria comp but it was before it became uh, uh an arts school you you kind of were going to be a a plumber if if you were a few years later you might have been uh you know an, an actor or something like that but um t- <laughs> tell us a, a little bit about uh you know, you had plans to be this uh, pipe fitter plumber and then boom, you end up a writer. Yeah. That <laughs> is a sharp left turn, isn't it? Like <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I took for, I went to Vic for, you know, I actually, I was on the four year plan cause I took grade 10 so casually, but all my credits, like most of them were in uh, welding and uh, pipe fitting, but plumbing. Right. Cause I, had full on intentions of being a, a plumber when I got out of school, like a good trade, paid a lot of money. Thought, no, okay, this is this is all right. <clears throat> and then uh, towards the end of it, I went on work experience a couple of times, and one of one of them was in winter. And in your final year, you go twice, like one in the middle and then one at the end. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm not sure that this is necessarily what I want to be doing. And I'm like, well, crap. But all my credits, like. 60 out of a hundred were in welding and pipe fitting. I'm like, well, okay, I kind of put all my eggs in one basket, but right. as it turned out, yeah, as it turned out my, I was taking English 
like the really hard English, 10, 20, and 30, just because it was so easy, right? They were easy credits, right? And I was like getting 95, 98, just absolutely killing it without ever thinking of doing something along that line. So I went to, to the counselor and, and talked to her a little bit. And one of my buddies said, well, why don't you think about taking journalism? So it's like probably May in grade, you know, my last year of high school. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, maybe I'll try this. So I put in a last minute uh, application to McEwen, you know, sent him a couple of book reports or whatever that I've written from high school, transcripts and everything. And because I was so late, they put me on a waiting list and <clears throat> said, you know, we can't get you in this year. So, you know, but, you know, try again next year or if a certain amount of people drop out, you can get in this year. So, you know, if, as it turned out, some people did drop out and I got in that first year. And if it wouldn't have happened, uh, who knows? Like maybe I would have done something else or actually got into plumbing and, and, and stayed there or whatever. But, uh, yeah, if I hadn't, uh, if one of my buddies and the counselor hadn't suggested journalism and four or five people hadn't dropped out of McEwen that first year, who knows uh, where I would be right now. But, uh, yeah, that's all I've done since. That's the only job I've had out of high school. It's like that sliding doors movie, eh? We all want to find out what would have happened if we would have made that other choice or stuck to that path and didn't pivot or anything like that, right? Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Like, for all you know, you're just a very happy plumber, right? Yeah, like, who knows? Maybe have your, have your own company. Like, I can still, like, you know, do a lot of, I could solder, solder some pipe and change the toilet and probably wouldn't legally be allowed to weld because it's fairly dangerous. But, yeah. you know, I, I would know what to do, right? So, you know, some of those skills, stay with you yeah who knows maybe instead of going to rexall one day you as a plumber went and bought a lottery ticket and won 60 million you just never know <laughs> that's, that's just, what, what that is yeah who knows a totally different life would have yeah so you 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 do a few jobs and works at some papers. You end up in Edmonton in '89, uh, and um, you know you you come just at the tail end. But you know you, one of your first road trips was pretty memorable. It, well, yeah, it was like I was, I I had gone from well, I covered the I started out the Wetaskiwin Times and I covered the Hobie Mohawks for uh, for one season there, which was a great adventure driving from Wetaskiwin to Hobima Friday and Saturday night to for those games. And then I went to Fort Mac for three years, covered the Oil Barons there. They had a, a you know pretty good pretty good run. And then I come to Edmonton, and you know I was mostly working on the desk and doing uh, University of Alberta Golden Bears home games and stuff. And uh, so my very my first ever uh, road game was uh, Game Seven between the Oilers and the and the Flames in '91. There, where they came back from what was it two nothing down or three nothing down to to win Game Seven. So yeah, <laughs> it was quite a quite. A, culture shock yeah no kidding and and then you start covering the oilers um and you know the the oilers uh, we were chatting about the, during the 90s you know there was a lot of people saying oh they're only seventh or eighth they get knocked out but when you compare that to the decade of darkness it was like going to the stanley cup final every year and, and the teams that they played like listen i was a dallas stars fan by then because i'm an andy moog guy so as you know i i, I probably have a restraining order against uh, or andy moog probably has a restraining order against me uh for all the stalking that i've uh tried to do with him but uh i so i was a dallas stars fan um by the the 90s when he was there and those rivalries were legendary the colorado ones the cujos i mean the 90s Oilers were, when you think back on it, um, they didn't win a lot, but they were entertaining and they were competitive. Oh, I tell you what, the city would have taken those teams forever, you know, considering what they had to, to, to go through for the last uh, 13 years there. But, 
Yeah, I mean those those Oilers Dallas Stars series were were epic. Like the entire league would would turn an eye to Edmonton and Dallas and say, "Wow, like that is a hell of a series." Like they just went at it tooth and nail, and they had like you know you're talking Mike Medano and Zuboff uh, for Dallas, and you know Doug Waite and Bill Guerin for the Oilers, and there was some you know really really great personalities and uh, some incredible hockey. You know Ken Hitchcock on, on the other side, and just the way the city of Edmonton, you know in in there hasn't been a lot of it, so maybe you know a lot of people, you know, don't really recall what it was like in, in, in going to the playoffs every year. But you know, once the once the the, the, the warm weather hit and and you know the games were the games were for real, man. This this city went crazy. Like there was nothing but Oilers, and and it was so much fun to be a part of that. And the, the hockey was great. It was always a tough flight. Edmonton to Dallas is not an easy is not an easy get. And in the early days, you were playing. I think they were still in Reunion Arena for a, for a couple of those series, maybe most of them, which is a was a terrible rank, and the ice was just awful. And uh, you know, Denver too was is, is uh, you know they were talking Sackick and Forsberg, and is you know like you say they didn't the Oilers would only go you know one or two rounds, but that was that was an exciting one or two rounds. Man, they got their money's worth out of those playoffs. Yeah, and then the you know the you you like listen for me it's a terrible memory, but Marchand scoring on Andy Moog for a lot of Oiler fans uh, was their Stanley Cup moment during the nineties. Or you you know you look at that Cujo save uh, against the Avalanche. I mean you know there there were great memories, and 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 uh, you you would see it. like I got here in 03 and, and even then still they were playing the Stars. Even in the first round, the bars were packed. Now two thousand and six is that one rare exception where we all got swept up on it, and you know even as as journalists, I mean, I look back at game three, I think it was against San Jose, the triple overtime game is, you know, maybe the highlight of that, that whole series, because there was, it was so crazy, but you're right. The city that just, it gets enveloped. And, and that's the, the unfortunate part about how this year could have been um, for the economy, for the fans, for everything. When the Oilers are in the playoffs, this city is different. Oh, and, and, and it was 90% going to be Oilers flames. Like this battle of Alberta, the way that regular season had gone was going to be, you know, it was going to be, it would have shut down the whole province, man. It was going to be earth shattering and, and very revealing, you know, on, you know, what the Edmonton Oilers were all about, what the Flames were all about, you know, Lucic against Neil in the playoffs, you know, what, what was Lucic going to be like? Uh, you know, was, you know, like I said, this should be the best time of the, of the year right now for, for an Edmonton sports fan. And, and, and instead it's, it's, it's nothing, but uh, there's, you know, I, I, even when the Oilers were out of the playoffs, I was still covering the playoffs because they would send me on the road to cover it for the chain. So I was, you know, covering a lot of, you know, Chicago and San Jose and, and the Kings and the Canucks kind of covering the Western conference for the, for the chain of papers. Right. And you even saw how those cities got into it, but you know, it wasn't the same. It was not the same as, you know, the way Edmonton kind of buys in and the, the entire city just goes, goes crazy. Like once you're in the arena, they're very similar. The noise levels are, are various. Every every rink thinks their rink is the, you know, the loudest rink in the NHL. Basically, it's a 16 way tie. Like yeah. they're all fantastic. Once you once you get in there, but once you get two blocks away from the arena, that's kind of where it trickles off big time in the states. But here, it's it's, it's you know you maintain that momentum where everybody is fully bought in and fully invested and and you know living day to day based on the fortunes of, you know, how the Oilers are going to do that day. And that's uh, that's a special feeling that, that uh, a lot of people have kind of forgotten about. But if you, you know, I came in here towards the end of it, you know, I, I went from covering the Oil Barons to the 1990 Cup Final <laughs> in a couple of months, in just a few short months. So, 
you know, I, I got a, I got a nice taste of it when I first got here, and it's, uh, Edmonton is definitely a, a special place in the playoffs, that's for certain. All right, so that's a, a, a great rivalry, the Oilers and the Flames, and another great rivalry, and we'll, we'll wrap on this, Rob, but another great rivalry that, that you and I pay close attention to is one you mentioned earlier, Tiger versus Phil, and, and we're both big golf fans. Um, you know, we kind of were able to watch that big four era. Remember when it was Tiger, Phil, VJ, Ernie, and 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 it, I thought it was awesome. Now I wasn't around to watch uh, Jack or Arnie or some of these guys, but I did get to see the big four. Um, I I don't think golf is as good as it was then. Right now, um, that's just my opinion. Maybe there's t- there's more parity, um, but there's I, I don't know if you would. Uh, narrow down the biggest four right now, but specifically Tiger Phil, um, which side do you fall on? What did you love about it? Uh, I, I know being a big golf guy, this has uh, some interest for you. Yeah, I, I, I was always cheering for Phil against Tiger, just you know, be him him shooting left uh, the way I did. And I just, I, I liked him. He was a funny guy. And Tiger, he's more approachable now, but yeah. in his prime, he was kind of really cold and standoffish and, and you know, kind of somewhat arrogant. A little bit, so I was always on on the on the Mickelson side, but you know both of those guys like they have they brought color, you know, which was something that's maybe missing today. When you see like a you know Dustin Johnson might have a little bit of it, and and some of the but there isn't there isn't really a guy who's as colorful as Phil or or you know who has the aura of Tiger and and even you know Els and and those guys they have like a, a personality about them which you know you don't see now. It's kind of I wouldn't say cookie cutter, but uh, you know, I, I don't think who's the most colorful guy on the PGA Tour right now who's an elite player, and it, it's, I'm not really sure who that would be, right? You know, John Daly was, yeah. you know, back in the day, was, was was something else. He was at a PGA Championship that I uh, covered in whenever, like, uh, I don't know, 2008 or something like that. And he had an exemption because he had won, he had won one before, right? So right. Instead of it was instead of playing a practice round at the at the course in uh, it was Southern Hills, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and it was wicked hot. Like it was Southern states in the summertime was brutal. It was pushing forty degrees or whatever. So Daly's like, I'm not playing a practice round unless I can take a cart. And they're like, Well, it's the PGA. You're not taking a cart. So right. he says, Screw it. I'm not. I'm not playing a practice round. So he took he and his buddy, who owned a course nearby. That's where he did his practice rounds because he could wear shorts and drive in a cart. So he didn't play any practice rounds. And then he rolls into Southern Hill having not played it. And uh, he's right around the first or second round lead. That's how talented that guy was. But if he ever applied himself, he would have been an absolute superstar, right? And then, he, of course, he ran out of gas because he's out of shape and everything. But then I think he missed the cut. Yeah, I think he was tied for the hanging around the lead after the first day and then, you know, faded, faded big time after that. But it just, uh, it just shows you, like, how much skill he had and how little dedication he had. And if he was, if he ever could have, you know, had that Tiger Woods focus and, and discipline, he could have been, he could have been better than Woods. I mean, he, he hit it, he hit it a ton and he had a, a you know, a, a short game that a lot of people don't give him enough credit for, but he was very good on that side of it too. Yeah. A lot of people just focus on the, the long drives, but uh, his, his uh, hands around the green were, were legendary, and yeah, he he was outspoken and obviously uh, did what he wanted. His book is uh, is a really good read. Um, speaking of read, that's the one guy golfers are outspoken about right now in their condensate condemnation of Patrick Reed and and all the like. This guy is like seems like the poster boy for everything you don't want in golf. 
yeah, I'm surprised that and and he's got some some buddies on tour, but everything you read about him, he just comes across as just not being a good person, right? Like, you know, who knows? You know, I don't know the backstory to everything, but you know, cutting off his family and oh no, the allegations of cheating and stealing in college and just not seeming to care that much, right? Like he's mm-hmm. just, you know, I'm going to go out there and, and screw you, and if you don't like me, and but uh, yeah, it's, it's and I've heard some guys talk about, you know, oh no, he's, he's you know he's a decent guy, but you know maybe they're only looking at it from a from a superficial perspective or or whatever. But yeah, I read some stories about him and everything I've read. Uh, it just hasn't been very flattering. So you know, never pass judgment on a guy until you meet him. But from what I've read and and heard, he doesn't seem like uh, he'd be one of my favorite guys on tour. Well, no, I and and I just go by the fact that so many guys came out against him when the the whole bunkers uh, brushing away the sand that thing happened before the Ryder Cup. I mean, I I don't know what that would have been like. You know, obviously it uh, it turned out, but uh, I just go by the fact that so many guys came out against him. Uh, tells me that you know this guy obviously I've never seen that before. I've never seen everybody unilaterally almost come out against this guy in that situation. Yeah, and it was good at the Ryder Cup too. The fans were all, the Europeans oh. were all over him, every time, which is which is a fun event. Like the Ryder Cup is a, is a beauty, but uh, that's the one time when you can kind of kind of let it go. But yeah. yeah, the Europeans fucking they jumped on that you know big time, and of course the, you know the fans feel the fire and everything. And he's just yeah, you can't do that stuff. Golf's a game where you you err on the side of caution, and if you made a mistake or whatever, you you own up, and it's a, it's supposed to be a game of honor. And if mm-hmm. you're a guy out there who's trying to get away with something, man, that's tough to shake. It really is. Well, yeah, golf is a game of honor, and honor goes past the golf course into life. So, uh, if you, if you don't have a lot of yeah. honor, there's a, there's not going to be a lot of respect thrown your way. Well, like if you say you're playing with a buddy and and you catch him cheating, are you ever playing him for money again? No. Like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You never you never shake that. Like, sorry, dude. You know. Yeah. So. Titch, this has been uh, a lot of fun. Thank you so much uh, for joining me on uh, the show today. Oh, yeah, well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, fills up, uh, fills up today. And don't, don't be afraid to edit out the parts where I ramble on or, or sound stupid. So, uh, feel free to, uh, take the editor, uh, editor, uh, clips to it. Which parts would that be? What, what parts? To- <laughs> <laughs> Most of them from hi Rob to thanks Rob. There's a lot in there that just, uh, leave on the cutting room floor. Yeah. All right. Thanks a lot, man. All right. Thank you. Holy poly baby, don't clench your teeth. Be yourself and breathe deep. This is the Sports and More podcast no with Dean Millard. To a long life. So do not lie and do what's right. Always have humility. But do your best to succeed. That's the wonderful sounds of Sweet Bejesus, Roly Poly Baby, uh, written about uh, a great guy, Jack Dabbs, who will one day become a great musician in his own right. Uh, but that's from Sweet Bejesus, their debut album, Policeman's Creek. You can find it on Apple Music, and a big thanks to those guys for allowing us to make them the official band of uh, sports and more. All right, uh, Rob Tichkowski was so fun. Uh, he had me in stitches during that interview um it's just uh it's just so entertaining uh you hanging around that guy and uh imagine getting kicked out of a birthday party because you were too funny 
Uh, so I really appreciate his time. You can follow him on Twitter at Rob underscore Titskowski. Uh, right now, we need to get to the ultimate franchise fantasy sports poll question. When live sports return, do you think ticket prices will drop? Do you think ticket prices will drop when live sports return? 83.3% saying no right now. I'm just wondering if like um, maybe packages for like things like the World Juniors and uh, maybe season tickets next year. I'm not sure. Uh, maybe individual tickets might not, but I'm just wondering if uh, some of the packages um, might drop. Uh, like I just, I, I, I don't think that uh, the World Junior Tournament uh, is going to be affected as far as getting it in. I know the Ivan Holinka Gretzky was canceled, but I just wonder about ticket prices. So hit me up on at Duck Millard to have your vote on Twitter. Uh, let me know uh, what you think. Do you think ticket prices will decline uh, once live sports return, whenever that might be? And that's going to wrap things up for us on the program today. Or wrap things up for me. I guess I'm the only one here. Um, so weird just to think of that. Uh, I <laughs> Anyway, uh, I hope you enjoyed the show. Please subscribe if you did and leave us a review. And to those who have left us reviews, uh, particularly on uh, Apple, we really appreciate it. I got a chance to read some of them uh, recently, and I appreciate the kind words. Um, the, feel free to send me an email if there's somebody you would love to hear on the show, and we'll try to reach out and get in touch with them. If you would like to advertise on the program, uh, please reach out to me at sportsandmorepod at gmail.com. Although uh, now is not really the right time uh, to be asking people for money. That time will come. Uh, But I do ask you to support your local businesses as much as you possibly can. Thanks so much to Rob Tichkowski for joining me on the program today. It was uh, so much fun. We will have one-timers with Titch uh, a little bit later on in the week. He is such a funny dude. Follow him on Twitter at Rob uh, underscore Tichkowski and a great writer too. Uh, He really does uh, come up with some great stuff. I leave you now with another little ditty from Sweet Bejesus, the official band of Sports and More. This is The River is Low. As we say goodbye, playtime is over. The river is alone Joining me down here And the sun beats my soul And there's no shelter around here And I'm so dry and lonely for River is alone through all of my travels, and all I know is a heartache and gravel. Make your own luck, so I've been told. 